0: Hello my fellow geoscience aficionados, you are listening to Nice Chats from the Geology Podcast Network. I'm Dr. B and in each episode I will interview an expert in various areas in geoscience and share with you a little bit of their knowledge and expertise in the research of natural problems. Each of our episodes has a central theme and, since we'll have an expert walk us through the various subjects, you don't need to worry about having any previous knowledge of what we'll be talking about. As long as you're passionate about the study of geosciences, I, with the help of our guests and occasional co-hosts, will take care of fitting all the information that you need in a casual and fun environment. I grew up in the city of Diamantina, in Brazil. I was very lucky because Diamantina is a city that has amazing nature and beautiful scenery. In addition to good wine, check out Quinta da Matriculada on Instagram, and don't worry about the spelling, I've added the page to the show notes. The reason why it is such a special place is because the city is surrounded by mountains. Well, hills. We don't really have mountains in Brazil, but you can say that a big part of the city's charm is due to the landscape. But what exactly is landscape and how does it form and evolve Today I'm joined by my co-host and soulmate Silvia Volante and our guest Dr. Chiara Zuffetti from the University of Milano to talk about landscapes. Let's welcome her in.
1: Hi Chiara,
0: how's
1: it it going? Hey Zuffa,
0: welcome to Nice Chats.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: (laughs) So Zuffa, have you listened to a few episodes of Nice Chats before? Yeah? Do you have any guess what kind of game you think I prepared for you today?
1: No, <laughs> I'm scared about that.
0: <laughs> Don't worry about it, I've prepared a game that uh, it's, it's almost certain that will generate some controversy.
1: <laughs> so, you
0: know, prepare yourself to get some some love or hate mail. Okay. <laughs> no, but all jokes aside, today we will play a fan favorite. We are playing Sample, Curate or Hammer. This is a play on the traditional Kiss, Mary Kill game. I'm going to give you 3 options. And from these, you have to choose one option that you would sample in the field. You know, you chuck it in your calco bag and you bring it to the lab to zap it with the laser. Another one is the one that uh, is so special that you would want to curate to your collection. Uh, And you know, therefore keep it forever. And then finally, the final option is the one that you wouldn't mind hammering away in order to get to the good bits. So it's basically a list from least to most favorite. So the least favorite is hammer, then sample, and then the most favorite is curate. Up for it? Okay. All right, let's see how this goes. So, first of all, normal, inverse or strike slip?
1: Normal, curate, Okay. Inverse sample, strike slip hammer.
0: Strike slip hammer. Why? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> because uh, I I like the the vertical throw. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. But the, this normal one is gonna be very controversial. Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, okay, number two, hurricane, monsoon or tsunami.
1: That's a hard one, huh? Yeah, it's very hard. Monsoon, hammer. Okay. Um, hurricane, sample. Yeah. And tsunami, curate.
0: Why? <laughs> uh,
1: not for the effect. Yeah. Uh, for people. Okay. Okay. But um, I like it. I like it. Okay because uh, I like to understand the, the power of such uh, an event mm-hmm. uh, on the also on the, the inland yeah. territories and uh, also it's related to tectonics maybe on seismic events and so I, I like to to link everything yeah. so the the effects of uh, of uh, seismic events also on the on inlands and um, I don't know I, I prefer that in relations to the other two
0: yeah so um, I actually agree with you on the top pick and for two reasons first because you know I think tsunami um, you you know you have a an easier time well actually maybe not true because y- you can also predict hurricane and monsoon but um, but I think tsunamis are a little bit more predictable because, you know, the hurricanes, they can, um, you know, turn and, you know, all of a sudden you, you know, you get like a last minute um, alarm. But with, the, with tsunamis, like they're, you know, fairly predictable, let's say,
1: mm-hmm.
0: although disasters do happen still. Uh, but...
1: yeah, and they also not do not relate just to climate events or climate evolution. Yeah, true. So there is still something that is not predictable within them.
0: Yeah. Well, but the thing is, like you know, if you have a good network of uh, seismicity, then you know it's uh, it, it's it's up to it's it's like easier to monitor, I think. But maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. the but the the tsunami are definitely nicer in the geological record i think because you know if you have a tsunami then you're gonna have some nice uh, sedimentary structures being formed in the in the yeah. uh the coastline so that's you know for the future geologists to to see once the rocks uh go through their di- genesis the sediments go through the di-
1: leave a, mm-hmm. a good record to study afterwards That's it. <laughs> yeah you're right
0: um okay next one you have to choose between oh this is interesting because i actually sylvia is the one that created the game and i have to say that i haven't paid attention to all the options you put but this one like talks uh, very well with the intro of the show so you have to choose between hills mountains or valleys
1: (laughs) that's gonna be very tough for zufa because uh, she's being like working in hills and valleys but she loves mountains so yes Hmm. it's very very difficult guys (laughs) no uh okay i have um i can say mountains hammer hills sample and valleys curate
0: okay um I I obviously have to curate hills because I just went on a whole rant about how beautiful Diamantina is, but I agree with you that I would also hammer mountains, and not because I don't like mountains, but because I actually do think that you need to hammer them and bring samples home because they have amazing rocks. that's obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now this one is also, man, all of these are very, very tricky, huh? Polar cap, rainforest, or desert?
1: Um, rainforest hammer, mm-hmm. polar cap sample, okay, and desert curate.
0: Man, it's interesting because you said hammer the rainforest, and that's exactly what uh, the Brazilian government is doing. There you go.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was to align me for <laughs> to the decisions of the Brazil. There you go.
0: So, which one did you did you curate?
1: I curated the desert, but just because it recalls me uh, the last my last field experience. Ah. Where was it? Was it? Mo- yeah, it was in Morocco, and uh, I w- I stayed in the desert for two weeks for doing very very nice stratigraphic analysis, and uh, yeah, I loved it so much. And then I I'm stopped <laughs> uh, due to the pandemic. And mm. I hope to return there again.
0: Okay. Um... This next one is also interesting. So, rivers, lakes or sea. Or, you know, if if it was German, it would be rivers, ze or zee.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh so ze and zee <laughs> hammer and uh, hammer and sample. Mm-hmm. And uh, rivers for
0: curate. Oh man, me too. Rivers definitely curate. I love rivers. Uh, in, I love that. Yeah, I, I
1: love the the sedimentary uh, the sedimentary package mm-hmm. that can be studied to understand the river the river environments mm-hmm. and their evolution. And I love uh, present day rivers. Where to go to do some? <laughs> yeah, where to go inside during summer? Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, and I study river systems so uh, they they are fascinating for me
0: yeah me too i I grew up uh, swimming in the river and I just love it you know in my in my region in Brazil you have mm-hmm. a lot of uh, quartzite but you also have um some some organic matter being you know um, mm-hmm. being like uh, transported into the river so you have this play between like yellow tea color water and the more like muddy water depending of like you know where on the river you are and the time of the year and also you know rivers have waterfalls and waterfalls are just like the most amazing thing so yeah that's true. Uh, i think that we are seeing that we are actually very compatible from this game <laughs> <laughs> okay um now this one mm, lectures practicals or yeah. Preparing the material for the class.
1: Uh, so preparing the material as the hammer.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: lectures as the s- uh, sample mm-hmm. and practicals as curate.
0: Yeah, perfect answer. Perfect answer. <laughs> uh,
1: I don't know if I had to uh, to say why, but <laughs> I think you you share my position. I don't know
0: yeah the nice thing about practicals is that it's a more dynamic and you have a bit more of a communication you know back and yeah. forth like that's the yeah, only reason interaction, why interaction yeah. yeah but i mean i yeah I, yeah.
1: I just finished uh, yeah, last week my practicals with students about rocks mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was very nice. I think it's a very it's the the most useful way to to learn earth sciences um
0: okay, so my final question is provolone, parmigiano-reggiano, or laburata.
1: Very, Very nice spelling. <laughs>
0: this is Silvia's dad every time. La burrata.
1: Okay. <laughs> the right accent. <laughs> uh, okay, that's not easy. As an Italian, <laughs> but I can say that provolone hammer, parmigiano sample, and la burrata. La burrata! Sure. <laughs> love it.
0: Oh man, yeah. The, I would only switch la burrata with the parmigiano. I love burrata, but mm-hmm. parmigiano is my favorite of all time. Yeah. It's the goat. <laughs> but now you know comes the question which place produces best cheese france or italy
1: italy Italy.
0: yeah well we have to We're we we have to bring though, a, a french in to to discuss it you know
1: <laughs> but uh, not not we are uh, not online we have to be physically in the same place exactly. yeah, we, and look Yeah, with each some other samples <laughs> <sort of. laughs>
0: <laughs> These Italian and French have no idea which cheese is the best in the world. I will tell you, it is of course a nice curated Minas cheese from the city of Cerro in Brazil, or as women say, queijo de the Minas. There's also some awesome geology around there. Uh, if you have ideas for future episodes or guests, please write to our email nicechats at gmail.com. Please subscribe to Nice Chats and give us a five-star review. Okay, Zufa. Enough about cheese. Let's talk about landscape. All right. Okay. First, can you explain to our listeners what a landscape is?
2: Mm,
1: yes. Well, <laughs> uh, a landscape can be described as a set of visible, uh, visible features of a land uh, of the topography, which can be viewed uh, at one time from one place. Okay. Uh, I like to think about the landscape as a palimpsest. Uh, this is because it's the, the result of overprinting geological processes, both in space and time, uh, that acted at different time scales. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, let's think about our geological f- uh, field notebook. Okay. Uh, imagine if it's made of just a single page and you are in the field, you have to write and report things only in this page so you write, you erase, you rewrite, emphasizing the lines more and more. Maybe under the rain, and this page after your work is the present-day landscape, and it's been written more than once. With some sometimes the earlier writing uh, incompletely erased. Uh, so the landscape is is that is the witness of our super dynamic planet, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a palimpsest of shapes, uh, sediments, ages. Structures ready to be read by us, and uh, the fascinating thing in doing that is to try to disentangle the processes that build uh, it, yeah, sure. Through time mm-hmm. makes sense, so that, that's the way I, I also like that. So, yeah, that's where the puzzle very complex is complex features of, uh, of our planet.
0: Cool, very cool. Um, now, the majority of people that are non geoscientists uh, that I know you know, they have a real hard time imagining events that happened past maybe like the Roman Empire or the Greek civilization. You know, that's that's where we start in school to study the world history, right? So for many people, processes that last over a thousand years are very hard to imagine. But then, you know, we get into university and we open our hearts and minds to geosciences, and then we go the other way right? We tend to overcompensate. And now, all of a sudden, we start thinking about processes that last over millions of years. And that, you know, we consider to be normal. I mean, what is a million years for a planet that has 4,500 million years? However, there are a lot of processes in geosciences as a whole, but, uh, but also specifically in geology that shape the Earth and that actually happen relatively quickly. So my question is, in the case of landscape building processes, you know, these that are we, we are discussing today, what category can we fit them into? What I mean is, what is the timescale of these processes?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, as you said, landscape building processes um, span across different timescales. So there are instantaneous processes which modify the Earth's surface, like uh, single landslides or river floods, or a single volcanic eruption mm-hmm. that modify the landscaping uh, and take minutes for hours. But if you zoom out and you realize that, for example, the volcano belongs to an origin made of a series of volcanoes developed behind a subduction zone.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you realize that the landscape you are looking at at present is the aggregation of million year lasting processes. So the, the important thing, I think, is never forget the multiscale approach in studying the earth systems, uh, both uh, let's say recent and older because the landscape collect collects all of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay yeah, very, very interesting. And um, you know when we are studying the early Earth, which is uh, most of the focus of my research in, in particular, Uh, We we always rely on geochronometers to estimate not only the time, but also the duration of uh, many of these, you know, processes that last millions of years and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they do a good job of that because they use isotopic systems that operate on those timescales. And, you know, we've talked about this extensively in a previous episode. This is uh, the episode on isotopes with Bryant. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet. It's very interesting and you learn about what isotopes are and how to use radiogenic isotopes. But but going back to what we're talking about here today, in the case of the processes that we are discussing, what are some of the techniques that you can use to constrain timing and duration of these, you know, uh, landslide landscape forming processes?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, determining numerical ages is still a major aspect eh, of Quaternary research because both uh, accurate and precise numerical ages are important. As uh, you said before, in contrast to older geological periods, mm-hmm. the Quaternary comprises a very short period of time that is 2.5 million years. Mm-hmm. So, if, if we need a first estimation, we can rely on cross-cut relationships, for example, between landforms, stratigraphic units, soil features, and so on. But if we need a more quantitative uh, um, information, for example, we can use biostratigraphy. Mm-hmm. That's useful, but not, not an ubiquitous tool for correlation, especially in continental settings. Mm-hmm. Where you, you cannot use that. On the other hand, uh, for example, findings related to human activity uh, are used. However, they are mainly restricted to continental settings where humans live. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, for example, since the 1950s, the cosmogenic geochronology has been established. and So uh, we are able to use the radiocarbon for dating Mm -hmm. recent deposits Mm -hmm. uh, You know that living organisms incorporate the radioactive carbon-14 during their life, both plants and animals. And uh, so uh, it's used to date the death of the organism that you find within the sediment. And so it allows to determine a maximum age of about uh, 5,000 years. Ah, okay. Okay. Right. Then there are also other techniques Mm-hmm. Uh, to date um, recent deposits, for example, the one based on cosmogenic nuclides, uh, that you can sample within quartz or olivine or pyroxene uh, or carbonates, for example, and uh, you can date with them the exposure of uh, the rock surface.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, we yeah. talked, we talked about reach, that a um, bit with, um, with the third Rebecca that we interviewed in the Rebecca mm-hmm. trilogy. And uh, mm-hmm. that's yeah, that's one of the things she's doing. She actually studied the um, unconformity, the great unconformity that uh, takes place on you know several places around the United States, but it's also present in the Grand Canyon.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. So that, that th- these are very very useful, and also for example the uranium uh, series
2: mm-hmm.
1: that are used to uh, to date carbonates, uh, the formation of carbonates and they span from a few thousand years to 500,000 years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there are also the luminescence methods uh, that are used on the quartz or feldspars in sediments mm-hmm. uh, or artifacts, human artifacts. And these are used to, to date the last... Uh, uh, daylight exposure oh, okay. of this uh, artifact or uh, sediment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before the boreal. Uh, and it, they can reach ages down to some years. So these are very, very useful. Oh, okay. Quaternary cool. science. So these are the main methods that I can, yeah, that I listed, uh, mm-hmm. that are mainly used to, to give a precise or accurate. Uh, Numerical age to, to these recent
0: uh, deposits. Yeah, and um, you mentioned uh, that cross uh, stratigraphic relationships was one of them, and I think that most of our listeners understand what that is. But uh, for the ones that you know don't, um, mm-hmm. I ju- I would just like to exemplify what what does that entail. So, for example, um, in Rome. If you go to the city of Rome and you check what is the level of the street today, mm-hmm. uh, you know you know what the level is, right? Is the is the street where you walk. However, if you if you dig up on the on the soil, you actually find the ancient street level. So basically, you know, during the Roman Empire when they built Rome, the the street was a few meters lower, right? And uh, and now it's higher because all of that area was covered with sediments that came from rivers Um, I I believe rivers, but uh, But this is what cross stratigraphy is Because we know when the Roman Empire was happening. We know when Rome was built, you know more or less So we are certain that the sediments that were deposited between then and now Which is you know when we have the current street level they had to have been deposited between the Roman Empire and now, so we know exactly the age of deposition of that. And we can use that in a series of other uh, types of relationships, so for example, if, if, uh, if there is some sort of deformation to the terrain or to the rocks, then that must have happened after the deposition or deformation of these rocks, and we can use that in you know, several fields of geology and with different, different types of, um, of rocks and structures and processes. Yeah. Um so you know we talked about the methods um that are involved in constraining the time of uh, <clears throat> of landscaping build processes. But uh, as far as just you know the study itself, what are the methods that that you use? I imagine that <clears throat> I imagine that, for example, the analysis of the present morphology maybe is one of them. But uh, but what else can you can you use?
1: Yeah, well, uh, the study of the recent systems has to be multidisciplinary. I think that is a must. <laughs> So it needs needs a combination of uh, detailed geological and geomorphological mapping and analysis. So we start from the field. Mm -hmm. We need to characterize the the stratigraphic boundaries based on the sedimentological analysis or soil analysis. Then uh, we need to correlate the stratigraphic surfaces, integrating uh, field and subsurface stratigraphic data. Understand the 3D geometries of the depositional bodies which um, make, which compose the landscape. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we, we also need the analysis of the petrographic composition of sediments, maybe to understand the paleo provenance of the depositional systems to make uh, for example paleogeographic interpretations mm-hmm. and uh, we need to combine also them with the structural analysis of folds and alignments uh, of uh, morpho structures for example so it's important that you you not you don't need to use just one method yeah. but you need the integration of m- many of them because the landscape or the quaternary geology is a very very complex uh, uh, integration of all of them so we we need to catch all
0: of them yeah and i think that is something that sometimes gets a bit overlooked even though it's uh, extremely important so for example if you think about something like uh, economic geology right searching for mineral deposits and we talked about the search for mineral deposits on on a, t- a chat we had with another Rebecca On the episode one of the Rebecca Trilogy And, what, you know, one of the, the most common methods of finding deposits Is looking at sediments that are in rivers Or in, you know, in the soil mm-hmm. And trying to find Okay, so if you have some gold Or if you have some diamond in there Whatever it is um, Where did it come from? Right? Can you find the source and then find the, the deposit that, uh, that was eroded in order for this uh, sediment to be deposited? So if you only focus on, okay, how deposits form at 500 million years ago and you don't really give the proper importance to the processes that happened during the quaternary, then you're not going to be able to do this like tracking activity of uh, of you know understanding how did you get to the situation that you are in now and uh, even me personally i have to say that my understanding of quaternary processes is very uh, minimum. Uh, but you know that's why you have to rely also on collaboration right so that you have people that help you out <laughs> uh, but but uh, speaking of you know, these uh, quaternary processes and study of landscape, what captivated you and pushed you towards this research field?
1: Mm, The questions, (laughs) the doubts. Yeah, I I was moved, firstly, by simplifications that many colleagues make about the the recent geology. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone calls it's simply a cover <laughs> or refers to a general age like Quaternary, uh, and uh, with putting a single color in geological maps. Uh, every time I look now at this single color, I remember the variety of processes involved in, in its formation. Everything depends, obviously, on, on the scale of interest of your work. And I, I like the recent shapes and processes because they are in front of us. and. So we see they they are so many and so heterogeneous and variable in in short time scale, even even in the the same place. So I think that the study of complex uh, recent settings is a useful training to let us not forget the complexity of the earth system. Uh, If also if we are studying old systems. Mm -hmm. Uh, So and also I, I like thinking that we cannot forget the action of man of the mankind on the quaternary environment. So I like knowing the geology of places where we live, where I go for for my holidays, (laughs) and and the recent or active processes within, uh, to be conscious and and make uh, other people, especially non-geologists, conscious actors for preservation and risk mitigation within our lands, landscape. Yeah. it's a sort of mission i think okay. for us as geologists
0: yeah I, I i mean i think you you have me convinced so um something else that i i find unique about your career trajectory uh so far and you know it's actually something that i really admire is that i know because you know you're friends with my wife that you actually <laughs> refused some you know some interesting opportunities um, to do research for your career, because at the end of the day, you know, you believed that they wouldn't, uh, they would impact your personal life on a, ne- on a negative way, and that would not be, you know, um, ultimately interesting enough, even though it might advance your, um, your professional career, you know, that wouldn't be um, on par with some of your personal goals. And that is actually, you know, refreshing and something that we don't really see in academia as often as we should. Probably also because of, you know, how competitive it is and how hard it is to uh, to develop your career. But, but it's also just, you know, the, this culture of not really accepting, um, you know, your personal life as a justification of doing something. I mean, I'm living a similar situation where... I, you know, I gave up my job in Australia and I moved mm-hmm. here to Germany to be with Sylvia. And, you know, now I'm struggling to, you know, make my career advance, but I don't regret it because, you know, the the personal upside was much, much, much better, especially during COVID times, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, it was definitely a decision I don't regret. And that was good for me. Uh, so... What, what kind of advice can you offer to our listeners that, you know, could maybe someday find themselves in a similar situation? And, you know, do you stand by your decision? I mean, I know that uh, you've inspired me to make my decision, so maybe you, know, <laughs> you can inspire someone else.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I start from the last question. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I definitely stand my de- by my decision. So that, that's the, the answer. And uh, even if if you said that sometimes it's against the main current in academia. uh, I've been used to have uh, a very dense life where the work is a part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm conscious and I tried it out. if I want to have an impact on the territory, so let's think at a local scale, I need to be on this territory Mm -hmm. and uh, to tie and cultivate human relationships and knowledge on, on the needs of the area. And when you're, you you finally merge your knowledge on geology with the life of your friends, family, the city where you live and, and you are able to leave a fingerprint. So, well, for me, it's a super satisfaction mm-hmm. uh, that uh, goes over the realizations of the numbers in, in a curriculum. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a pure matter of scale at which you see the parts of your life, <laughs> but as I said, the life is a palimpsest like the landscape, and <laughs> I think that these these things uh, I said uh, have a very strong value. Um, so be we, we are we need to be helpful also in the in the land where we live and uh, using our knowledge, but also. Mm-hmm using all our relationships to other people we are able to do that if we live in the same place for some time to yeah to strengthen these these relationships and projects
0: yeah very um it's it's a very interesting take and uh i, I see a lot of value on on this uh, on this opinion that you have Um, for our next segment, we like to ask always the same three questions at the end of every episode. Now, these are questions which are a little bit more personal. I mean, I mm-hmm. don't know if they can get any more personal than the last one, but, uh, but we'll see. And they are designed <laughs> they are designed to make each guess a bit more familiar to the listener. Uh, and then, they also allow us to compare experiences and opinions across different research fields. Uh, the first one is, how did you first decide to become a geoscientist?
1: <laughs> well, uh, it's a constant in my life. The less I know about a thing, the more I want to catch it. And it has been the same with the geology, <laughs> which I didn't examine in depth during the high school but which I started to discover from the tales of a friend who was a PhD student at that time. And I remained curious uh, enough to decide to discover a little bit at the university. Mm-hmm. And you see, I, I, I remain fooled in it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was that. <laughs>
0: um, what are some of the specifics of the research that you are conducting at present?
1: Well, uh, at present, I'm working on two fronts, on two topics. The first is the reconstruction of the Quaternary Field of the Po Basin, that is the widest Portland Basin in northern Italy, shared by the Alps and the Apennines. Uh, there, I'm combining uh, field uh, geological and geomorphological work and uh, 3D geological modeling to understand how and when. The climatic variations and the tectonic uh, uh, activity shaped the the recent uh, uh, stratigraphic architecture of the basin. Uh, I like also the applications of this research, because uh, if you think that the quaternary deposits of this basin host the most relevant resources, like uh, drinking water or geothermal resources, and also it it was the site and it is the site of historical seismic activity. So Mm. understanding geometries and traces of active tectonics is a still debated topic in the area. And the the second topic is um, the 3D reconstruction of hydrostratigraphy of part of the Alps in in Northern Italy. Uh, I am building a 3D geological model that is becoming the, the basis for hydrogeological modeling within the volumes of rocks mm-hmm. to understand the, the amount of water which can be stored in the, in the rocks of this mountain chain to supply the subsurface water reservoir of the foreland Basin in front of it, which is the most densely populated area of Europe.
2: Oh
0: wow.
1: So these are the, the two main topics that I'm working on in these months.
0: Yeah, sounds sounds very interesting. I can't wait to hear about your discoveries. <laughs> um, what do you enjoy doing when you're not geosciencing? I'm looking forward to this one. The list is very long. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh,
1: I love uh, spending my time hiking and biking in mountain areas, mm-hmm. okay? not in flatlands. <laughs> uh, Taking pictures, drawing uh, cooking on fire with friends while playing music
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: or camping wherever is more or less possible
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and uh, no, i I also like to be helpful in other to other people in my city or, or as an educator or volunteer I, I do it a lot uh, ah, and very recently I got involved in a beekeeping project and i found it very 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 fascinating
0: oh that's cool
1: yeah what about
0: the um the scouts
1: the scouts is a part of my free time activity (laughs) yes it's half of my life i was spent in the scout Mm -hmm. and i'm also uh, yeah i'm right now the scout leader Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we organize camps and uh, one week, yeah, one time a week uh, activities for younger people.
2: Yeah, nice.
1: Yeah. and I, uh, yeah, I love uh, passing my time with uh, with them. Uh, may- maybe in the summer with tents, uh, with uh, yeah.
0: Thank you for this nice chat we had today. Uh, you have definitely given me a new perspective on the quaternary. And I am definitely more appreciative of the nice landscapes I see around. Um, so thank also you. Thank...
1: Flat, also flat, also
0: Yeah, even even <laughs> uh, even here in the Hogabit uh, there are some nice uh, landscapes. So
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. And and probably. actually, this uh, this summer, if we hopefully we'll be able to go to Italy, we will go from uh, from the mon- from the mountains to the hills to the plain, and back oh, to the mountains a transition so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: get a little uh, get a little bit of a... you know what i what uh, kind of landscape really i really really like are u-shaped mm-hmm. valleys because yeah. we don't have them in brazil so i'm i've always like found them fascinating you know
1: if you go if you come in the Alps you can observe all of them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. For sure.
0: All right, thanks Zufa.
1: Thanks so much. Thank Zufa. you guy. Thank you bye. bye. Bye bye bye.
0: I hope you're listening to this podcast while looking at a beautiful landscape, but even if you're not Next time you look at a stunning scenery, you can remember how much cool geoscience is involved in creating such beauty. Thank you, Zufa, for teaching us all about landscapes today. Nice Chats is part of the Geology Podcast Network and it is sponsored by Traveling Geologists. Follow Traveling Geologists on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. More episodes of this and other GPN podcasts are available at TravelingGeologists.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Including Apple Podcast and Spotify. In two weeks, we have the second Loon episode coming out. What do you think we'll talk about? We're also releasing soon the results for our giveaway from our last episode. If you haven't yet, head down to my Instagram at geodrb, G-E-O-D-R-B, and try to guess which picture is a serpentinite, let's play the game. And here's a tip, do not take those pictures for granted.